Burns is out and Masvidal is in as UFC 251 is on the horizon this weekend. Very excited about three title fights headlining UFC 251 on Fight Island in Yaz Island, Abu Dhabi. Uh, very exciting card that uh, I can't wait to watch personally. We've got some big guests on the show this week. We've got Rory McDonald talking about his uh, current docu-series that uh, is being put together by the PFL. Uh, we've got uh, a couple other guests as well. Max Holloway, blessed himself. And uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, the UFC featherweight champion of the world. So we're looking forward to having those individuals on because we've got a, a very interesting show given the fact that we've got some big news to discuss, which is, of course, UFC 251, but also the UFC naming Venom as their next outfitting partner. Starting in April of next year, the Reebok deal ran through March of 2021, and now in April we will see, for the first time, the new Venom fight kits. We'll probably see them before that, but we won't see them in the cage until April 2021. Very interesting choice. I mean, you look at uh, who the possible outfitters could have been, uh, Dana White was asked about it by uh, the Schmo in an interview about Venom, Under Armour, and Nike. I think the Schmo must have known something. You don't just pull Venom out of your hat when you're asking about uh, apparel partners, because uh, why? Yeah, I mean, Venom's a big company, of course, in terms of the the world of fighting uh, and uh, workout apparel. But uh, just to, to I feel like the Schmo knew something. That's all. I'm gonna ask him. I'll ask him off off the air. But. Uh, he must have known something because he asked about Venom, Under Armour, and Nike. Right now, Under Armour having some financial problems, so uh, it was unlikely going to be them. Um, Nike has kind of stepped away from the fight game. They had John Jones as one of their uh, athletes, but uh, after an incident uh, outside of the cage with John Jones, they decided to, to pull him from their roster of athletes, and they haven't really gotten into the MMA space much since then. So uh, Venom seems like a great fit. You know, it's great that we're going to have for uh, the, the different fans of the sport and, and for the athletes, uh, an apparel brand that is focused on this facet of sport in the martial arts world because, you know, Reebok did what they could. I, I, I feel like Reebok got a lot of heat based on, uh, you know, early spelling mistakes, uh, you know, the, the very, very basic apparel early on. But I feel like they adapted and they did put together some shirts that were that were quite nice. But for the most part, it was a flop. You know, I feel like, again, they should get some credit. They did adapt a little bit. They did change their designs. But I think I think it was a flop. Uh, I think that that's probably fair to say at this point. It was a flop for the athletes who were forced to wear not just Reebok uh, apparel, but Reebok shoes. And uh, I feel like they, they didn't do a great job of customizing things to the athletes particularly. I feel like they could have done a better job with that. I feel like they could have made fight gear look a little bit more authentic. That's what I, th- I said was missing, you know. A couple, probably about a month ago, I went on social media and said it would be great if the UFC got an outfitting partner, but also an apparel partner. If you get Roots of Fight on board, get them to design. They've got such a high-quality product, such great designs. That would have been really cool to see. Uh, Not that Venom's not going to be able to put out good apparel in that regard in terms of just fan apparel, but I think that was one of the things that really fell flat uh, during this partnership was the fan apparel. Fans weren't buying UFC apparel. They weren't buying fight kits. They weren't buying uh, gear. They weren't buying shirts. And, and I've worn the Reebok product. I think it's a high-quality product. I thought that they made um, good workout apparel. They've made good shoes, very comfortable shoes. I think Reebok are among the most comfortable shoes that you can buy. I used to wear them almost exclusively, honestly, because I found them to be so comfortable. But um, I feel like in terms of just adapting to this particular brand of athlete, I feel like they didn't do a great job. So 
hopefully Venom, given that they have a lot of uh, different fight apparel that they've done over the years. They have a partnership with Lomachenko. They make really nice fight gear in that regard. I think they're going to do a good job. So uh, I think that this is a, a big win for the athletes in terms of the look of the apparel. Now, what they're going to be compensated, that hasn't been revealed just yet. Dana White's going to be talking to the media on Friday. I have a feeling that's when this will come out. So um, if we get an update on that, maybe I can get it into the end of the show. But uh, for now, let's talk about UFC 251. Of course, three big title fights as headliners. You got Kamaru Usman as the headliner, welterweight champion of the world, Jorge Masvidal as the challenger, finding out on July 4th, less than a week ago, that he would be stepping in for Gilbert Burns to take on Usman. So far, so good. They've passed protocols uh, in terms of COVID-19, at least so far. Uh, and if they've passed it so far, I, I don't foresee anything coming up. But you just never know. This virus is incredibly unpredictable. Um, you got Alexander Volkanovsky rematch with Max Holloway. Volkanovsky, a 2-1 favorite in this spot. And you got Piotr Jan facing Jose Aldo for the vacant bantamweight title of the world. And that's uh, that's an exciting one because I think I'll talk a little bit about what it means for Jose a little bit later on in the show. But uh, I think that this is a, a real opportunity for Jose Aldo to change his legacy. And uh, that's something that will be interesting to see because his legacy, I think, is still great. It's not it's not like his legacy is, is soiled by any, any chance or any uh, by any measure. I think that Jose Aldo is still considered widely the best featherweight of all time, but I feel like he can really grow and enhance his legacy if he's able to win a title against uh, Piotr Jan, uh, the vacant bantamweight title. So let's start at the top. You've got Usman, you've got Masvidal, and you've got uh, an exciting title fight that I, I believe will be... Um, an interesting, I think it's an uphill battle for Masvidal, to be honest. I mean, on short notice against Usman. And Usman has said, you know, I'm also taking this fight on short notice. I was training for more of a grappling-based fighter in Gilbert Burns, although let's not diminish the striking skills of Gilbert Burns. I think Gilbert Burns, you know, a lot of people said this was the fight to make. Masvidal was the opponent. Always should have been the opponent. I'm not sure if I agree. I, I think that you could have made a, a very intriguing, compelling case that Burns was the next guy in line. Um, you know, the, the the hype, the promotional aspect behind it, always in Masvidal's favor. I think that this is a much more sellable fight. I think that the fans are a lot more into this particular fight. But uh, to say that Burns jumped the line um, and, and that he shouldn't have been next, I think, is, is false. I think that Burns actually poses a, a tougher matchup, skill for skill, with Usman. But uh, Masvidal has that. You know, Masvidal does not get enough credit for his fight IQ. His fight IQ, you know, it's it's off the charts. He's he's been doing this for such a long time. He notices little things. I mean, that flying knee. They were training that flying knee that he landed against Askren for for weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks before that fight. He knew he was gonna utilize it at some point in time, and he just said he noticed something when the fight was starting. He noticed, and I mean, the fight hadn't even started yet, but he noticed an opening. He noticed something in in I don't know if it was the the, the posture of Ben Askren. Something told him that. That right off the shoot was the time, was the time to throw that that flying knee. And don't be surprised if he throws it again against Usman. Um, I think that if he sees an opening there, he will he will throw that. But I think the difference between an Usman and a, and a Ben Askren is that while Usman is also a decorated wrestler, not not quite to the level of Askren, but while he is uh, still um, 
a wrestling-based fighter, I, I still think that his instincts on the feet are a little bit better than Ben Askren. I think I, I don't think that if Masvidal charges at him with a flying knee, that his instinct will be that to shoot for a takedown. I think his instinct will be to evade. Um, and I think that uh, Usman's fight IQ is also off the charts. You know, he's he's made some mistakes, but very few. I mean, if you can remember mistakes that someone has made, then that means that they're probably doing a pretty good job. The one mistake that stands out was against Demian Maya. He managed to Demian Maya managed to get to Usman's back. It's a it's a referee stand up that Joe Rogan talks about, and he says he thinks about it in his car when he's driving about what would have happened if the ref would have just let that continue. If he would have just let Maya have the back and work a little bit more. He's made that mistake. He gets hit sometimes, and against Masvidal, you don't want to get hit. Um, we've seen the power of Masvidal, especially in the last uh, in in 2019. We saw the, the kind of power that he has. But Usman just does not make a lot of mistakes. And I, I think that this is what happened again with Amanda Nunes against Felicia Spencer. You know, I thought Spencer posed something of a threat to Amanda Nunes because Spencer's really good at capitalizing on mistakes. Nunes didn't make any mistakes. And I think in order for Masvidal to win this fight, he needs to Usman needs to make a mistake. He needs to he needs to be less than perfect. And that can happen on any given night. But since entering the UFC, Kamaru Usman has just made so few mistakes that even though this is a, a good line for Masvidal, I think it is a two to one underdog. I think they're, they're you know, you you could make a case that there's some value there. I'm not one of the people that would make that case, but I think this line is exactly where it should be. But you're basically betting on Usman making a mistake because over the course of five rounds, I I'm, I have a hard time believing that Masvidal taking this fight on a week notice is going to win a decision against Kamaru Usman. I think that Masvidal's path is pretty clear. I think he needs to knock him out. And I think that it's more than a puncher's chance because Masvidal has incredible striking acumen. Um, Masvidal's takedown defense is a bit underrated. I mean, his takedown defense is at 78%. And if you look at how many times people have tried to take him down, uh, I think that it's 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 uh, a bit underrated. But I also think that Usman's takedown game is going to be one of those... It's like when people face Khabib. Barboza faced Khabib, and they were like, oh, man, is this... His takedown defense. Look at look at the numbers. It's a different game. It's a different animal when you're in there with a guy like a Habib, like an Usman. And you can say, "Hey, Masvidal was in there with Askren. Didn't get taken down." Well, <laughs> I mean that sample size is not very large. Let's just put it that way. And I'm not recording this to to make a case that Usman is going to win this fight. I just I'm just looking at it from a matchup standpoint. And I I think that it's a, it's an uphill battle for Jorge Masvidal. I really do. I think that there's a lot of threats that Usman poses. That will make it a difficult night at the office for Masvidal if he's not able to to land a clean shot. And you don't see Usman take a lot of clean shots. But uh, to say that he won't do that is that would be absurd. It would be preposterous because Masvidal's got incredible striking acumen. He's got great timing. He's got a very high fight IQ. So to uh, to say that this is going to be a walk in the park for Usman, that's hardly what I'm arguing. I think that this is a solid, solid matchup. Um, but I think that Masvidal will have his hands full over the course of five rounds. Co-main event, Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway. And uh, this is about adjustments. This is about Holloway watching that fight back, and he told me that he's watched it a couple times and, and noticing things that he could have done better. Because Volkanovsky is another one of these guys, like Usman, who does not make mistakes. You look at Volkanovsky's uh, stats, and uh, you look at how well he's done. He's just not a guy that... You, that you can capitalize. You basically just need to outpoint him on the feet. Like you, you need to be in the same kind of fight that Holloway was in last time and do better. 
do a better job. Outstrike him, outpoint him. Volkanovski has been taken down only twice. Or sorry, uh, oh, I'm wrong on that. Sorry, he's been taken down six times in the UFC. So, but but this isn't the kind of fight where Max Holloway is going to try to take this to the ground. And then you look at striking, and he has outstruck every opponent that he has fought in the UFC, and and not by a slim margin either. His first fight outlands uh, Yuzuki Kasuya fifty to four. Next fight outlands Mizuto Hirota eighty-seven to forty-six. Fight after that outlands Shane Young sixty-eight to eighteen. Jeremy Kennedy outlands him seventy-three to eight. Faces Darren Elkins. This was a bit closer, hundred to eighty-two. Against Chad Mendez, nearly doubles him up fifty-four to twenty-eight. Against Aldo. Triples him up, 95-29. to 29. And then against Max Holloway, a guy known for his volume, a guy known for outstriking all of his opponents in terms of volume, outlands him 157-134. to 134. So this is a guy that finds ways to win fights and, and finds ways to do it in a fashion where he doesn't give his opponents even a chance of winning. Because if you look back at, uh, at his fights, he got into a little bit of trouble against Mendez in the first round. You can argue that. But uh, outside of that, you, you know, against Holloway, I th- you could have made a case he made one all five rounds. Could have made a case he won all five rounds. And this is just a guy who does not lose a lot of rounds. Um, and judging by his performances, I mean, he's he's got power. You know, he, this guy is in the decision machine. He's got three of his finishes out of his, um, I guess it's eight fights, have uh, been by knockout. So mostly decisions, but uh, that's because he is... He's a very methodical fighter. He he wants to find ways to win fights, and he wants to find ways to do it uh, where he doesn't call into question what the result of the fight's going to be. And uh, I think that this is a, a fight where Holloway, if he doesn't make it, the right adjustments, he's not going to win this fight. I think I think it's that simple. I think that Volkanovski figured out a way to solve the Max Holloway puzzle, and he was even able to outland Holloway. Like I'm going to look back and tell you how many fighters have outlanded Max Holloway in a fight. Uh, Holloway in the loss to Poirier outlanded him by three by three significant strikes. And outside of that, the last person before Volkanovski to outland Max Holloway was Conor McGregor. That was his, his last loss at featherweight. And that was back in 2013. So nearly seven years ago. And uh, th- that's the only other person to outland Max Holloway is Conor McGregor. So you have Volkanovski and Max Holloway. Uh, and prior to that, uh, you know, Justin Lawrence outlanded him. And uh, that's it. And Max Holloway won that fight by knockout in the second round. But uh, Max Holloway is a difficult person for to outland because of his output. 6.66 strikes landed per minute for Max Holloway. 6.15 for Volkanovski. So Volkanovski got solid uh, volume as well. But in terms of strikes, of significant strikes absorbed per minute, Holloway 4.45, Volkanovski 3.14. So he's almost got double the amount of uh, significant strikes landed per minute as absorbed per minute. And that, that's just the kind of fighter that Volkanovski is. He's, he's close to perfect. So, again, in order to beat this guy, you need to be close to perfect. Piotr Jan taking on Max Holloway for the vacant bantamweight title of the world, although with a title fight coming off of a loss. Piotr Jan has been exceptional since coming into the UFC. Um, he did get outstruck by Jimmy Rivera, but outside of that, he's outstruck all of his opponents. He's uh, gotten 
He's only been taken down by uh, two of his previous opponents, John Dodson twice and Jin Su Sun once. But when you look at the the quality of, of win that Piotr Jan has, I mean, like Piotr Jan, everybody's saying this guy's the guy, this guy's the number one guy. But look at the wins. Uriah Faber, Jimmy Rivera, John Dodson, Douglas Silva, Diandraj, Jinsu Sun, and Taruto Ishihara. How many of these guys are top 15 bantamweights in the world right now? Like, I, I, I can go and check, but none of these guys are top five. That's for sure. I don't think any of them are top 10. So uh, I, I do find it interesting that it's him and Aldo fighting for the title, and it wasn't Sandhagen and, and Sterling, but I think Sterling will certainly face the winner of this fight next. This is by far P- Piotr Jan's toughest t- test to date in Jose Aldo. We saw what Jose Aldo had against Marais, even though it was a loss. I think that uh, most people do think that Aldo won that fight. But uh, just looking at Aldo, the last, I guess, since 2017, so the last three years of his career, back-to-back losses to Holloway, that knockout, first-round knockout over uh, Jeremy Stevens, very impressive. Second-round knockout over Hanato Moicano, very impressive. Uh, then the loss to Volkanovski, where he was outstruck 3-1, to one, and then uh, the loss to Marais. So mixed bag of success. I mean, he's, he's fighting top guys. And uh, he won two of those fights, arguably three if you thought that he beat Marais. But, I mean, the record stands as a loss. It'll show as a loss. You can't appeal that. It's a split decision. But the, the, if you appeal that, there's not a single commission that's going to overturn that fight. It was a close fight. And now he faces a uh, a guy that I compare to a young Piotr, to, uh, to a young Jose Aldo, Piotr Jan, vicious striker, somebody that nobody really wants to face. But uh, Aldo fighting for the title again. And uh, I was talking earlier in the show about how Aldo can really change his legacy, because you look at the last three years of his career, or even the last four four plus years of his career since that loss to McGregor. He's officially three and four. Sorry, three and five. Since if if you count the McGregor loss, and before that it was just win 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 win. I mean he was he was basically untouchable before that fight against Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor knocks him out in 13 seconds and changes his entire legacy because he goes from being this. I, I think he was on the Mount Rushmore of uh, of MMA at that point in time before he fought Conor McGregor. But since then he's fallen off and he's still and he's not that old of a guy. You know, Aldo is he's 33 years old. Yeah, I mean this isn't the guy. Who's who's past his prime? Like he's still uh, uh, basically at the very end of his prime. I know he's got a lot of mileage, but let's not uh, let's not write Aldo off just yet. And if Aldo can win this and become the bantamweight champion of the world, think of what that does to his legacy. He'll be one of the very few two division champions in UFC history. A guy that everybody thought should move up to fifty five ends up moving down to thirty five. Makes thirty five for this particular fight. So I think that you need to take a look at Jose Aldo and uh, and reconsider the, the narrative. Reconsider um, whether or not he's one of the all-time greats because I think that right now, if you list the top 10 fighters in MMA history, Aldo might make some lists, but not all of them. I don't think he's a consensus top 10 guy anymore. Before he fought McGregor, he for sure would have been on that list. Would have probably been on the top five of most people's lists. But a win over Piotr Jan at this stage in his career, winning another belt... Man, that would do a lot for the legacy of Jose Aldo. We've got the rematch, Rose Namajunas against Jessica Andrade. I'm I'm very surprised at how much this line has moved up. How Namajunas, whose last fight was a loss to Andrade, is minus 220 in this fight. That that really surprised me. I know that Andrade got you know starched by Zhang Veili, but uh, I think that was a different type of fight. And I think that uh, this line is a, a little bit off. I I, w- I wouldn't. 
I think that taking Nami Yunus at this price would be uh, would it's not nothing I would do. I'll just put it that way because I think that Andrade is still a, a high high level fighter. I mean that division is basically Joanna, Zhang Veli, Rose, and Andrade, and and that's it. Those are like that's the cream of the crop. Oh, and I guess you got to put Tatiana Suarez in there, but she's been injured for some time. Um, the rest of this card doesn't have a whole lot. I mean, you got Amanda Hibosh. She's a, a big favorite against uh, Paige Van Zandt. The last fight of Paige Van Zandt's contract, she has not made that um, a secret. So I think that we are going to see Paige Van Zandt and Bellator in her next fight. And uh, an interesting article came out by a, by um, Dan Stupp, who is contributing to the Action Network. And he asked a bunch of different uh, people, including my uh, my friend Dan Tom, what would the price need to be for you to consider betting on Paige Van Zandt? And I think it's this price, honestly. Like I think at plus five twenty-five, we've seen Van Zandt in there against the best fighters, and she's she's fared okay against some of them. It's just a question of how good is Hebus. I mean, you look at Hebus; she's got wins uh, over Randa Marcos and uh, Mackenzie Dern, as well as Emily Whitmire. But how much better or worse is Paige Van? Like, is Paige Van Zandt worse than those fighters? It's like if if you put Paige Van Zandt against um, Mackenzie Dern, you, would you guarantee she's going to get subbed? I don't think so. If you put um, Paige Van Zandt against Randa Marcos, that's a competitive fight. So why is she that much bigger of an underdog? Is it because we've seen such such high level skill from Hibosh? I I think time's going to tell on this one, but I think that that number is, is quite a bit inflated. All right, so let's um, let's get to our first interview. It is with the featherweight champion of the world. That's Alexander Volkanovsky, and he joins us now on the TSN MMA show. Once Alexander the Great Volkanovsky, now Alexander the Greatest Volkanovsky, the greatest featherweight in the world, joins me right now. Alex, you had some stress getting to Abu Dhabi. Tell me about it. Yeah, uh, well, the whole thing, obviously, this whole uh, the whole uh, these challenging times, right? Yeah. Did- Get exemptions to train six weeks out of the out of the fight. Uh, when I find out, you know, we end up getting ex- uh, exemptions so I could train, and then we needed exemptions to to get on the plane to leave the country, and we didn't get our exemption until six hours before the flight. Uh, but yeah, I was lucky enough for the team not to let me know about the stress that they had. Uh, you know, all the all the, the hurdles they had to jump, uh, literally the day of uh, when we we're leaving. But uh, all good, they got it done. I'm uh, glad for that, and uh, it's all right. So, you know, a couple of hurdles, even at the gate, right at the gate, we had to do a couple more hurdles. Uh, we, we didn't get the government, the Abu Dhabi government's approval till 30, 30 or 40 minutes before we got on the plane. So uh, it was a couple of little hurdles, but uh, well, we got on. We, we, you know, as soon as we were on the plane, Sydney at Abu Dhabi has pretty much been smooth sailing uh, from there. Everyone's doing a great job over here, so it's it's good. When did you find out you weren't, weren't going to be in the main event? Uh, I, I guess Gilbert Burns had an, an issue that has uh, forced him to pull out of the fight. They ended up replacing him with Jorge Masvidal, but for a time, it was thought that Usman was not going to go to Abu Dhabi and compete. Yeah, well, you know, obviously, we'd never thought that was definitely going to happen to me being main event. We'll, there was always an option of uh, and a replacement, I thought. But at the same time, nothing changes for me. You know, I mean, preparation. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to let things uh, rattle me too much. Uh, but it would have been good to be main event. But I mean, you can't argue with Masvidal being on this card. Like this was already a stack card, you know, three title fights. 
Uh, even if there was going to be only two title fights, that's still a massive card. And now we've got Masvidal on there fighting for the title, you know, and that's the that's the rightful number one contender, I'm pretty sure too. So, you know, that's a that's a massive fight. Uh, it's a massive uh, draw card. You know, this is obviously going to do good pay-per-views. So I'm happy with that. I don't mind uh, being where I am. At the same time, big opportunity for me. I'm going to capitalize on it and I put on a show. Now, your fight's going to be early in the morning. I don't think this is a foreign concept to you. I mean, because you're from Australia, you travel all over the world. Do you feel like you have a bit of an advantage in that regard? Yeah, maybe. Maybe uh, I've fought in the morning a few times. And Look, I'm a professional. Even though we're still uh, six hours ahead, I'm pretty much staying on uh, Australian time. You know what I mean? Because I want to wake up around 3.30, 4 o'clock at the latest, so I'm, I'm up for four or five hours before I fight. You know what I mean? I don't want to sleep in uh, till two hours before I fight and then head over to the arena. So right now we are we are going to bed at seven and uh, waking up at you know three thirty, and that's what a uh, that's pretty much a similar time time zone to to Australia. So you know, uh, but uh, in saying that, you know, it could be I'm sure it's a lot harder for the American fighters. So I guess that you could say that was a bit of an advantage for me. But uh, you know, if they're professionals, they, they they'll be doing the same thing. They'll be trying to stick to a time zone they're comfortable with. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. Uh, I know I know I'll be fully prepared. I know I'll be okay with uh, with how it is, and hopefully all the other fighters are too. How is sleep for you during fight week? I mean, are you able to sleep well? I know a lot of people because they're so stressed out, it keeps them awake. Um, I'm I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good actually. Uh, we we eat pretty good during uh, fight week as well. The nutritionists do their job. Uh, I train. I water load. Do all the media. You're pretty exhausted, but you know as long as you get to sleep. Uh, you know, I usually stay asleep, but you know, I might get up here and there a couple of times to go to the toilet, but I usually crash uh, back out, so that's all right. So oh, I'm all right. My sleeping pattern ain't too bad uh, five week usually. I read an interesting story about you in the Australian. It was about a week before you got signed to the UFC. You're a family man. You were trying to, to get everything in order and get a job in the UFC. You were doing everything you needed to do. You were winning all of your fights on the regional scene. You, you got to the gym and you turned around and went home. Um, tell me about that story and, and, and how you ended up overcoming, I guess, what was the, the lowest point in your career and it's suddenly becoming the highest point in your career. Well, that's exactly what it was. Literally uh, the lowest point in, in my career, even though I felt so close, you start to feel like it's so far away. You, you, you're you so close where you've, you think you've done everything that you needed to do. You know, I had multiple uh, Aussie titles, world titles, uh, well-known in Australia, uh, big win streak knockouts, finishes, doing everything. And then just the opportunity just wasn't coming. And then, you know, I was living at the mother's house and at mum's house and with the family, you know, I had my firstborn. I made a promise to myself that, you know, I would be in the UFC before my first born, before Ariana was born. And that didn't happen. So, you know what I mean? It was, it started getting hard. You know, I'd, I can't put my family on hold forever. That's sort of where I was going. Like I was going to go back to concreting and maybe do this part-time and who knows where that would have went, you know what I mean? Uh, but, again, I'm, I, I've, I've had this feeling here and there. You know, obviously, you're going to have your down points throughout your career. But I never let it get to me. I always stay positive. And, uh, you know, especially then, even though I, I felt like it was such a, a negative, uh, you know, and obviously I was down, really down, one of the down, most down points in my life, I, you know, I still stuck to it. I was still back at the gym the next day. And uh, literally that weekend, I, I, got a, I got a major sponsor on board, which helped a lot. And then uh, I think the week after that, I ended up getting uh, the contract to the UFC. So I was literally like, you know, I'm, I'm going from full-time to 
part-time. I was going to concrete and do all that. And, you know, who knows where that would have took me. But uh, yeah, I was lucky enough to stick to it and, and uh, we got it done. And now, now look. Look where we are. On Fight Island. Uh, On Fight Island. Tell me about the Tell me about that 24 hours though, but before you went back to the gym the next day, what was going through your mind and, and what gave you that push to, to say, you know what, let, let's do this, let's do one more day and, and get back to the gym and, and see what happens? Oh, well, even straight after I left, my coach uh, finished, like, obviously he knew he seen me rock up and then he seen me take off. And I took off, literally, it, was, it feels like nothing. It was about a promo video, video we are going to push out and... You know, it didn't happen and, you know, and all the – I was stressing out and, you know, I was doing my head in. I thought, you know what, I've had enough. I, I took off. And my coach, uh, Joe Lopez, ends up ends up ringing me and being like, what's up? You know, that's not like you. You've never done that before. And I've never, never not turned up at a session, especially when I rocked up, just left. So he knew something was up. But, you know, he, he talked to me. I'm like, ah, oh, it's all good. You know, he goes, oh, I just want to make sure you're all right. And, again, I just – I'm always trying to stay positive. You know, I always try and look at – as many positive as I can out of all negative situations, you know what I mean? Because this is a roller coaster, man. This this MMA career, it is crazy, a crazy process. But you need to try and stay pro- uh, stay positive through the through it. It can get hard, and like you said, that was a hard time. I literally was about to let it go, and then I was like, you know what? Let's just stick to it a little bit more. Let's answer them phone calls. And uh, you know, and uh, get back in the gym. So I'm glad I answered that phone call, and I'm glad I answered uh, the UFC phone call too. So you know what I mean? It's you know, you never know. You never know. Maybe I could have uh, went off tangent for a little bit, not answered no calls, and missed out on that opportunity. But you know, stuck to it. You trained exclusively with Joe for this particular camp because of the rules around quarantining in New Zealand. Um, Eugene Behrman, he cornered Dan Hooker a couple weeks ago in Las Vegas. What's Eugene's life been like? Did he go back to New Zealand? Because he would have had to quarantine for two weeks and then go to Yaz Islands. So what's his situation like? Man, he stayed in uh, in uh, America, in Vegas, wasn't it? Yeah, so he stayed in Vegas uh, till here. So he was there for a week and then and he just arrived a couple of days ago with us or on Sunday. So, uh, yeah, he was uh, he, he was either – if he did go back home, he wouldn't have been able to come back here. I think that's what would have happened. So, uh, you know, I'm you know, thankful, obviously, for him doing that. He uh, stayed in Vegas and, and come straight here, especially while, you know, uh, you know, there, there's going to be other boys in camp as well. So, And he's still doing this for me, so I really appreciate that. But camp has been good, even though uh, it was a bit different. I didn't do it in uh, City, at City Kickboxing. We did everything at uh, Freestyle Fighting Gym. We pretty much bring all the best of Australian fighters, the best fighters we have in Australia, to our doors in our gym and uh, – yeah, we had a good crew, so it was good. And then in saying that, even though we'll cross the ditch uh, in Australia and we weren't in New Zealand, we still had the boys, Brad and, and uh, Eugene and Joe. We were doing Zoom chats, breaking down fights, breaking down our sparring. So nothing really changed. We had the bodies, we had the same schedule, and then I still had the brains of, of, the, of our full uh, corner anyway. So it's all good. Who are some of the bodies you brought in in Australia? Uh, Jamie Malarkey is one of them. Uh, he's in the UFC. Joshua Kulabau, another UFC fighter, and then some light anywhere, like lightweights, the welterweights. Uh, all of them pretty much have Aussie titles. Uh, you know, we've got guys like Blake, Donnelly. Mate, the list goes on. Martin Ewan, uh, 1FC champion, a uh, one champion. You know what I mean? There's uh, plenty of fighters. We had like 10 of the, the best in Australia. Well, that sounds great. Um, 
the opposite side of the uh, the spectrum is Max Holloway, who says that he didn't spar at all during this camp. He said he was doing his training during uh, via Zoom, um, and the first time he saw his coaches was at the airport. Uh, do you find that difficult to believe that he would accept that fight under these circumstances? Yeah, I find it very hard to believe. I don't believe that one bit. Uh, again, I know I don't know uh, what he's playing at. Again, I'm not going to accuse him of, of anything, but uh, you know, I don't believe that one bit. You know, I mean, uh, if people are going to use that as an excuse, uh, that's uh, that's going to blow me away because uh, I'm surely no one really does believe that. Uh, maybe he's got to cover his ass because he didn't get exemptions like I did. I don't know. But again, I don't want to accuse him of that either. You know, I'm not that type to, to be doing that. I don't want to throw too much shade on him, but I don't believe it. So it's going to be yourself and Max in the co-main event. You've got Jose Aldo also on the card, a mutual opponent of, of the two of you. This is a, a showcase of some of the greatest featherweights of all time on one card, except one of them, I guess, is fighting at bantamweight. Do you cheer for Jose Aldo? I mean, knowing that you're a featherweight, you must have been looking up to Jose Aldo for many, many years before you fought him. His legacy right now, I still think that most consider him to be the greatest featherweight of all time. But if he gets the bantamweight title, he can really change the narrative about his career. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on Jose going for the bantamweight title. Yeah, like I still think he's uh, the goat of the featherweight division right now. So I'm trying to... I'm chasing his GOAT status. You know, no, no disrespect to Max. I just think defending the belt for so long, like uh, like uh, uh, Aldo did, uh, you know, really, what was it? How many defenses it was? You know, I couldn't put a number up, but I know that, I know there was a lot. And, uh, you know, that's the, you know, that's who, that's the GOAT status I'm chasing. Uh, but in saying that, you know, obviously we, we everyone loves uh, Aldo. He's done great things in this sport, but Pedian's my boy. You know, uh, I train with Pedian. I know Pedian uh, pretty well. So I'll be rooting for uh, Peter Young, and you know Peter Young's a, a savage. So they're both they're both still in good nick. So even though Aldo, people are saying easy done and dusted, I don't believe that. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a, a cracker of a fight. I'm looking forward to it. I'll be watching it backstage while I'm warming up. But uh, you know, again, Peter Young's a no joke. You know what I mean? He's a very well rounded, very fit. He's a very tough. He's a goer. You know what I mean? He's a he's a hard man. So. I'm looking for that. He's going to be hard to beat on the night. I truly do believe that. And finally, do you see some parallels between yourself and Usman? Uh, Usman has a loss back before he was in the UFC like yourself. On a crazy winning streak, had a lot of trouble getting tough opponents to, to sign on to fight him uh, while, while he was coming up in the UFC. Do you see any sort of parallels there? Yeah, yeah, I th yeah, I think so. I think there's a few a few in a, in a, the UFC that are, that are, are going to have uh, them problems. But, yeah, we got there. That's the main thing, you know what I mean? We got there, so uh, that's that's something that that I, I've I've always said, you know, I'm going to shoot for these ranks. I'm going to do what needs to be done to be the number one contender. You know, I'm going to take out all the guys that I can. I was lucky enough to get the the opponents. I was calling out opponents that most people probably wouldn't, but they're the fights that needed a, I needed to take to to get that to get that shot, and uh, that's what we did. And I got that shot. Now I got that belt. Absolutely. Well, you beat uh, Max Holloway on uh, what he calls the Ninth Island, which is uh, Las Vegas. Now you're going to face him on Fight Island, another island against a, a guy from the islands of Hawaii. You beat Jose Aldo in Brazil. You're just conquering all of the territories like Alexander the Great must do to uh, remain yeah. the featherweight champion. So uh, congrats on all your success and, and best of luck. The Conqueror. Let's do it. <laughs> That was the UFC featherweight champion, Alexander Volkanovsky. And now we'll go to the former champion, one of the greatest featherweights in the history of the division, and that's Max Blast Holloway. He's actually the younger fighter in this situation. He'll be taking on Alexander Volkanovsky in the co-main event. It's Max Blast Holloway joining us on the TSN MMA Show. 
The Blessed Express is back on the tracks and it's coming to Fight Island. We've got the Eight Islands of Hawaii, the Ninth Island Las Vegas, that was last weekend or two weeks ago rather. You've got the Tenth Island of Toronto and now it's the Eleventh Island, Fight Island. And Max Holloway's back going for the featherweight title. Uh, Max, how are you? I'm good. I feel great and uh, I'm looking forward to the weekend. My big question for you is, you'd mentioned that you hadn't seen your coaches. You've been doing training through Zoom. You hadn't seen them until you got to the airport. You've been taking the stay-at-home decree very, very seriously in Hawaii. Um, why take this fight? It's obviously under suboptimal uh, circumstances for you in terms of training. Why not wait until things cleared up, got a little bit better, and you could have a, a proper training camp? Because um, that's not what fighters do. Fighters fight, you know. Um, these are the guys that you find out. You find out who the true fighters in these times, you know. Uh, I'm not one to be like, you know, like in the olden times and the gladiator times, people like to compare us to gladiators or whatever, but you never seen gladiators walking around with scales and being like, hey, step on the scale. Let me let me see. Uh, you're 20 pounds heavier than me. We can't fight. Or uh, or you, can't, you never hear them say like, oh, give me six weeks to get ready or eight weeks to get ready for this, you know. At the end of the day, it's just... You got to be ready. You got to be ready to fight. And I know I'm up for the daddest man on the planet uh, title. I know I'm up for the nice the nice belt too, the, the NMF belt and then the BMF belt. You know, um, I, I'll take that one too. I'll fight that one too because that's just how true fighters is. When you were training on Zoom with your coaches, how did that work? Um, You know, they they had this class. The, the Zoom app is... You have a time, whatever, scheduled time. They had a schedule because all our classes turned to online. And then you just jump in this you just jump in at that time, you know, hit the link, jump in and we train and then sometimes I'd get privates with them. We'd talk. Um they'd watch me train or they'd tell me to do certain stuff and it was super good, super easy, you know. Was, you wanna talk about one on ones. I got one on ones this whole this whole training camp and uh I feel great. This rematch is going to be about adjustments from the first fight. How many times did you watch that first fight, and what sort of things did you notice that you would have improved about your own performance? I watched it a couple of times, but at the end of the day, everybody talking about adjustments, this and that, and what, what I can do and what he can do. Just tune in this weekend. It's, it's one of those fights that you do not want to be on Twitter when something amazing happens. You want to see this live. Because it's going to be an amazing fight. And if you're trying to change family, friends, or whoever it may be to be an MMA fight, tell them tune in this weekend. The co-main event is, I'm, I'm going to make you a fan. I was sending messages to your manager, Chris, uh, during this time of, uh, of COVID-19, trying to get an interview with you because, you know, Canada misses you and everything. But he says you were really busy helping Hawaii and, and helping food banks. And I know this isn't something you like to publicize much, but I'd love to hear about the different things that you did uh, to help Hawaii combat the coronavirus. And, and of all the states, Hawaii's done a fantastic job. Yeah, you know, um, we've actually been actually holding it low, but ever since the pandemic and stuff, our focus was when went to like doing like 95% of charity trying to figure out what charity we can do and how we can help and 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 that's what we was doing we're sitting down um we even um you know I I don't know if you guys saw but I'm taking my lead from my brothers Khabib and Dustin um this fight after this fight everything that I'm wearing to that octagon will be on auction and every single penny that I make off the auction 
for that is going to Hawaii Food Bank. You know, right now the it's just crazy times for Hawaii. I think so. The unemployment rate is like at forty percent or something because we, you know, we we rely on uh, on tourists and people to come in, but uh, it's been super hard. So if this is a way I can give back and you know help put food on tables for people less fortunate and stuff, I'm here for it. And this isn't the first thing you've done. You also uh, raffled off uh, dinner with you, training with you for an individual and four guests um, a while back. So kudos to you for all of that. I mean, obviously, Hawaii is incredibly important to you. Um, what sort of feedback have you gotten from people in Hawaii? Uh, this grateful. It's grateful. They're thankful. And then even when the quarantine kind of lifted and we had to go, um, I had to go to the store and stuff to get food and whatever. They was all respectful, you know. We made a post about saying, like, how we should keep social distancing and this and that. And people actually respect it, you know. They, they kept their distance. They did the Ricardo Lamas point down to me here and there. Uh, it was great times, you know. So I think so. Uh, as long as we all take this serious, we stand together, we can get over this, uh, this pandemic uh, together. And you've got the quarantine cut. How are you enjoying that? I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Now I'm giving you a run for your money with your hair, boss. So well, it's out. I, I had to go get the haircut. As soon as the barber opened up, I had to go. I, I was getting annoyed by it. I, I like having it so it's easier for me to, to style. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't have. Maybe I should have, I should have just kept it, kept it growing long. <laughs> I started looking like a sixth member of the Beatles. <laughs> that's, that's a good group to be a part of. Just, just saying, man. <laughs> So uh, about a year ago, the Raptors had their victory parade. Uh, the basketball season is getting started back up sometime soon. Uh, are you excited to see what happens? Do you think that they're actually going to be able to have a season? I mean, they're doing it in Orlando, where right now, uh, I guess, the, the results for the coronavirus are coming in um, with, with many, many positive tests. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't, I, I, I'm excited for them. I hope I, I really wanted them to come uh, do the repeat. Because they can, they're calling us out. They're calling the Toronto Raptors out. It's just disbelief in me. We got Spicy P, we got Surge, we got Red. Especially now, everybody, the, the whole league actually is all healthy. So I, I would love to see how the games would go now. But, you know, they, they got to do the right choices. Like you said, a bunch of people is, uh, they're opening up and a bunch of the players are actually is getting sick and stuff or getting tested positive. So um, it's just... Super tough for them, man. I hope they can figure it out because I, I, would, I would love to watch the NBA, to be honest. I spoke to your opponent yesterday, Alexander Volkanovsky. I mentioned to him that you had been training over Zoom, that you hadn't seen your coach until you got to the airport, and he doesn't believe it. He thinks that you're making it up. Um, why, why would you make something like that up? And, and explain why you haven't seen your coaches and why you decided to stay home this whole time. Yeah, the stay-at-home order was, was serious. You know, the quarantine was serious. I, I made a video saying stay home. Like you know, what I'm, what I'm trying to contradict myself. You know, I'm not a sour patch or a starburst or whatever you want to call it. So, at the end of the day, um, he can believe what he wants to believe. You know, uh, he's been saying a lot of stuff. So, you know, cool for him. You know, you don't have to believe me. It's it is what it is. You're one of the greatest featherweights of all time. Um, the person that I think most people believe to be the, the greatest featherweight of all time is Jose Aldo. He's fighting on Fight Island, going for the bantamweight title. Um, you know, Jose, in recent years, people kind of forget about how good he was early in his career. Are you cheering for Jose to win that other belt? Because that'll really help people remember just how good this guy is. I know. Uh, people seem to forget about stuff. 
Um, and, uh, you know, people seem to forget about my age. You know, let's just talk about that first. And then at the end of the day, people just forget this guy's accolades that he made throughout the whole year. He still is a featherweight goat to me in my eyes. Um, and I'm super excited for him. You know, I'm a big fan. I've been, like what you said, I've been, like what I told you guys before, I watched this guy since I was 16. This guy was killing it when I was 16, 17, like just coming in and destroying people. And um, I'm super excited for him. I can't wait to go out there. I've been watching interviews. I watched the countdown. And it looks like that Fire Aldo is back. You know, I mean, he, he looked good in his 35 fight against uh, and when we fought in December. So, I don't know, man. He's Aldo just a scary dude, dog. Like, I, I can't wait. You know, if he gets the title, great. You know, and um, definitely, you know, I, I hate picking fights or whatever. But Aldo's a man, man. I got, I got nothing but love and respect for the man. Do you feel like Piotr Jan is like the new Aldo? He's like this young up-and-coming guy who's destroying everybody with his striking. Do you see a parallel there? A little bit. I, I think the striking is a little bit different um, because Aldo is very leg-kick heavy and now Pan throws kicks, but he's very hands-heavy, boxing-heavy. So we see what happens, you know? Yeah, like Piotr Jan too. I didn't know he was that young until I saw his age. How old is he? Like 23, 24? Yeah, he's in the mid-20s. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I didn't even know, I didn't know that he looked about thirty two, so good for him. And finally, are we getting an all access from the island? Oh yes, so the one that's head on over to my YouTube, Max Holloway on YouTube. We already got one up. We got a bunch of stuff. We dropped uh we dropped the food one for you guys. We dropped the hiker one. Um we might drop a hiker one later on in in uh in the week about me when I was in the forty eight hour quarantine. I was hiking to my bed. It was a treacherous hike. Very crazy. Almost hurt my back. Found a couple of new species on the way there. So it is what it is, you know. Uh, at the end of the day, we, we got you covered from Fight Island. All the ins and outs, all the secrets. Even, like, you guys don't know, there's, like, there, this Fight Island is really, like, more to come back in many ways. And you guys get to see on the next episode of of All Maxis. Tune in. All right. Well, you are Max Blessed Holloway, and I am blessed to have the opportunity to speak with you. I appreciate it. And best of luck this weekend. Thank you, brother. That was Max Bus Holloway, and I just realized I promoted an interview with Rory McDonald earlier in the show that was on last week's show. I was sitting on it, and I, I figured I would uh, put it in a show, and I forgot that I put it on last week's show. So, disregard, if you want to hear my interview with Rory uh, McDonald, please feel free to listen to it uh, on last week's show. Old news. Well, we've got, uh, we heard from UFC President Dana White earlier today. Uh, he addressed the media in Abu Dhabi. Um, and he he commented on Mike Perry, and Mike Perry had a, a bit of a situation recently where uh, he was out on the town and uh, getting into some some trouble. I, I, he was having some trouble managing his emotions, and uh, eventually uh, struck another individual. And uh, the UFC put out a statement saying that they are going to try to get him some help, and uh, they won't be booking any fights with him for the time being until this uh, situation is sorted out, and it sees, they see that he's made any real uh, any real change. And uh, Dana White came out and said, you know, he's obviously somebody who needs help. It's not, not normal behavior. But once you start getting some fame, uh, you know, things can turn around a little bit. So um, we'll, we'll be interesting to see what happens with with Mike Perry. I mean, to say that I'm surprised by what happened would be uh, inaccurate. This is somebody who has kind of made a reputation for being spontaneous, for being um, outspoken and 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 a little bit wild, honestly, a little bit wild and uh, very different from a lot of the other 
UFC fighters, but uh, to see him do this out in public, it's nothing we, we have really seen from him in the past, but it's not all that surprising given the way that he uh, has been doing interviews and especially in leading up to this recent fight, he's been you know pretty uh, unhinged. So I do hope that everything is okay with, uh, with Mike Perry and that he uh, is able to turn things around, but uh, certainly unfortunate actions on his behalf uh, out in public. Dana White also talked about the Venom deal that we spoke about earlier in the show. He didn't really clarify how it's going to work for the athletes just yet, but uh, he was saying that the timing, the timing is the reason why this deal um, was so enticing for the UFC. He says that you know a lot of these companies are, are floundering during uh, this pandemic, but uh, Venom came to, to the table, I guess, with, with a really... Uh, good plan, and he says, you know, this is what they're about, that they're about being in the fight business, and uh, that's, that was one of the incentives for why they wanted to sign on with Venom. And another thing he discussed was how Las Vegas is getting shut down again. They're shutting down some of the bars, and uh, they're, they're trying to control the spread of the uh, the virus once again. But uh, when you look at what's going on right now, he said that it's very unlikely that they're going to be flying people to from all over the world into the U.S., anytime soon, given uh, the state of the country right now with uh, the spread of the virus and uh, everything that's going on in, in multiple states right now in the U.S. So um, it's nice to see that they're taking uh, something of a realistic approach to that. Uh, while I do think that they are um, doing a good job when they are in Nevada, when they are at the UFC headquarters, given what the spread is like right now, I, I certainly think that him saying that... Uh, the plan to go back to Fight Island, go back to Abu Dhabi later in this year, is a beneficial one. Certainly makes a lot of sense. So, um, it is uh, certainly unfortunate to see um, the this virus continue to spread throughout the U.S. and uh, hopefully things can get figured out soon. I, I know that a lot of the other sports are starting to um, figure out how they're going to get started. They've created some bubbles and they're trying to make this work. It'll be fascinating to see what what they're able to do because we saw an MLS team uh, in Nashville say they're not going to play this season because they had an outbreak. Um, could that happen in the in the NBA in the NHL? And I've spoken about this at length when it comes to how much more well equipped the UFC is to deal with this situation because of the structure of their business. Because you know the fighters come in, they compete, and then they go. Uh, it's not uh, you know a schedule where it's the same people day in and day out competing. And it gives the UFC a bit of a leg up. Um, I was also asked an interesting question this morning on uh, first up with Landsberg and Cole Yakovo, Matt Causes filling in for Carlo. But uh, they asked about whether Dana White is owed an apology. And I said that I didn't think he was. And uh, to, to explain why, you need to kind of go back in in time to when this first started out and nobody really knew what was going on um and and the ufc were planning on doing an event in california at the atachi palace and they were looking to do it um without oversight from the california state athletic commission and i thought that was a big misstep um and another thing that dana white had done was say that he didn't plan on sharing the protocol with media, with the COVID-19 protocol. He said that he didn't need to explain to them what the UFC was going to do. And I thought that was a mistake too because I think the UFC has done a great job with their protocol. I think that, that that should have been something that they should have been flouting. They should have really talked about how they had all of these different pro professionals come in and come up with a, 
a complete game plan for how they were going to stop the spread of the virus within their bubble. So um, those are two things that I think Dana White could have done better. And uh, I think that was when he was getting the most criticism. Now, what I do think we owe to Dana White is uh, a lot of praise for, for being able to, under these circumstances, put on events. Under these circumstances, do so safely and uh, by uh, being able to um, host these events you know, a fashion that, that did keep their employees safe. They kept their employees going. They kept them employed. And uh, those are things that I really thought Dana White and co. did a really good job of. Uh, and he certainly d- does deserve a lot of praise for how the UFC has run. But uh, an apology, I, I'm not really sure. I, I think that when you look at some of the things early on, nobody really knew what was going on. And the UFC were really wanting to, to make sure they were first and... Um, they still were. They still were. They were able to be first with commission oversight, and I thought that was really important. So, um, I, again, I just I, I think that we should take our hat off to how they've done this and how they've been able to to navigate through this pandemic in a way that has allowed them to come back sooner and and host successful events. So, certainly deserves praise for that. Um, but an apology, I think, that might be a little bit of a stretch um, based on the early moves the company had made. So, uh, again, I don't want to take away from what they've done. I just think that when you look at how things were managed, uh, I think that early on they could have done a little bit of a better job. But that being said, I think that uh, the UFC have done a tremendous job. Like, if if you were to grade how well the UFC has done in terms of putting these events on, I think it's it's an A. You know, like, it's they've done a great job. Uh, some news just came down regarding... Uh, Malcolm Gordon, who's competing on July 18th. So Alexander Doskolchuk, who was supposed to face Malcolm Gordon, is uh, no longer going to be facing him. Now they have uh, a replacement. Amir Albazi will be facing Malcolm Gordon. Um, Albazi fought on uh, Brave CF, and uh, he had a loss to Jose Torres, former UFC fighter, back in April, and then bounced back in uh, November when he fought Ryan Curtis. So uh, that has changed now. Uh, Hopefully, uh, I don't know what's going on with Alexander Doskolchuk, but uh, new opponent for Malcolm Gordon, who will compete next Saturday. I'm really excited to see his debut. Uh, Malcolm Gordon, I think, is a tremendous fighter, not to mention that my co-host, Joe Valtellini, will be in his corner. He's in Abu Dhabi and will be cornering Malcolm Gordon. Uh, But, you know, Trying to put bias aside, given the fact that Joe is my co-host and I've heard such good things about Malcolm Gordon and have watched him compete uh, several times. I, I know how good he is. I, I do think he's one of the top Canadian prospects right now. I think he's one of the best flyweights in the world, and uh, he's going to have the opportunity to prove that next Saturday against another short-notice opponent. So, you know, having to do having to compete on short notice is tough, but when you're competing against another short-notice opponent, um, I think that uh, that kind of levels the playing field a little bit. Uh, Joe is actually en route to uh, Abu Dhabi right now, and uh, I'm sure he's following all the UFC protocol, but uh, I, I can't wait to speak with him about how uh, things are going uh, over there and uh, and what this experience is like. Cause it's uh, definitely going to be an experience of a lifetime for Joe and his team, and uh, of course Malcolm as well, who's now uh, a member of the UFC roster. Um, from what I understand, Malcolm was uh, being pursued for the uh, Contender Series, but when this uh, opportunity opened up, they offered it to him, and he took it, and uh, good on him, because I think, again, I think he's one of the top flyweights in the world. Um, 
I didn't touch on much of the rest of this card. I touched on mostly the main card. Uh, we did have two individuals miss weight. You had uh, Howley and Paiva miss weight against Zhaglis Zhumagulov. And you also had uh, Vanessa Mello miss weight against uh, Carol Hosa. So uh, those fights will go on with uh, those fighters forfeiting part of their purse. Uh, obviously, nobody wants to turn down a fight if an opponent misses weight, given how far you have to travel for that fight. So uh, let's see how those uh, play out. One fight I'm really looking forward to is uh, Muslim Salikov against uh, Elizeu Zaleski dos Santos. That's going to be a phenomenal fight at, in the 170-pound uh, weight division that I'm looking forward to. And uh, Yuri Prokhazka against... I keep mispronouncing his name. Prokhazka? Yuri Prokhazka against uh, Volkan Uzdemir. That is another one that I'm really looking forward to that's kind of under the radar. Uh, those are two of the top light heavyweights in the world. And if... Uh, Depending on how this division goes and what happens with John Jones, I think whoever wins this fight is going to be right in the mix to fight for the light heavyweight title uh, somewhere down the line, probably early next year. So uh, that's uh, that's one to certainly look forward to. Um, and then we've got a bunch more events. Next week, UFC, uh, Calvin Cater versus Dan Egan in the main event, July 15th. And uh, July 18th, the flyweight title on the line, Davis and Figueredo rematch against Joseph Benavidez. So some fun fights on the horizon uh, on Fight Island. Looking forward to that. Not a lot of rest for uh, <laughs> those covering the sport in the foreseeable future as we have uh, a lot of different events coming up. I'm going to pull up the ESPN schedule and see when the uh, the next week off is because I don't think there is one. I mean, you got Contender Series coming up too. So there's events... Uh, in July, from now until the end of July, every Saturday, plus the one on uh, this coming Wednesday. Then you've got uh, August 1st. I guess August... Is, no, I think they had that Derek Lewis fight's August 7th, so I think there's an August 7th fight, too. The schedule isn't completely up to date. Uh, one thing that came out yesterday is uh, USADA put out their their numbers for Q2 uh, in terms of testing, and some numbers were at, like... Most of them were, at the most, three tests, two tests, but uh, a couple fighters, uh, Eric Anders... Uh, Jimmy Rivera and um, Ashley Yoder were in the double digits. They had like anywhere between 10 to 15 tests. I don't remember off the top of my head, but they were double digits. So I reached out to uh, the manager, uh, Jason House, who manages uh, Anders and Yoder, and he said that they, they were part of a uh, pilot project that uh, USADA's running uh, in terms of different ways of testing. So they, they stepped up and volunteered uh, their services to be tested many, many times uh, as a means of figuring out different uh, ways of testing athletes uh, in the UFC. So I think that's very interesting, and I'm, I'm curious to know how they're going to be doing that, uh, especially in the age of this pandemic. Um, so kudos to uh, the uh, UFC and USADA for trying to figure out new ways for them to navigate through this train when it comes to anti-doping. Um, well, that's it for now. We'll be back uh, early next week. I'm hoping to do a show uh, to preview this upcoming Wednesday card. Hopefully I'll have Joe... Join me from Abu Dhabi. I'll uh, also have an interview with Modestus Bukowskis. I think he might be the first Lithuanian-born. I, I don't think Roznam Yunus is born in Lithuania, but he might be one of the first Lithuanian-born fighters on a UFC card. I know that there was uh, uh, Yulia um, Stolyarenko. I think she was born in Lithuania as well, if I'm not mistaken. She was uh, on, I think, the Ultimate Fighter finale. But very few Lithuanian-born fighters have been in the UFC, so it was uh, be cool to catch up with Modestus and talk to him. Um, my dad was born in Lithuania and moved to uh, Canada when he was three, and Modestus was born in Lithuania and moved to uh, England when he was three. So a little bit of common ground there between my family and uh, Mr. Bukowskis. 
Uh, so we'll get uh, get into that on next week's show. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, and enjoy UFC 251 from Fight Island. Three titles on the line. Um, I'll have my preview show on Periscope before the event. Dan Tom and James Lynch will be joining me on that show. Plus, uh, catch me on SportsCenter for a uh, pre-fight and post-fight uh, on TSN. I appreciate you tuning in and uh, look forward to recapping this weekend's fights early next week.